would like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. And we'll begin in just a moment in 1 Timothy chapter 1 with verse 1. God willing, I'm launching out into this book of the Bible and we'll go through it with you, praying that God will use it to strengthen our lives and strengthen the life and ministry of our church. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two-edged swords. All the Bible is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So it's going to help us. God says it's going to help us. When we hold the Bible in our hand, we believe it is a supernatural book. We believe it's supernatural in its revelation. God reveals himself to us in creation and in conscience, but he gives us the written revelation of himself in the word of God. We have the Bible because God revealed himself to us in the Bible. The Bible is a book about God. It's a supernatural book and it's a supernatural revelation. We would not have it had not God given it to us. It's not only supernaturally revealed, it's supernatural in its inspiration. Men were moved along by the Spirit of God to pen exactly what God wants to have. We believe in the verbally, plenary inspired word of God. We believe every word of it is the Bible. Every word of it is God's word and all of it is God's word. It's supernatural in its inspiration. We also believe that it's supernatural in its preservation. It's preserved for all generations, for all time. The Bible is not given any private interpretation. It's not just for one people at one time. It's not just for a tribal group of people in a certain region of the world. It's for all people. And so we believe in the supernatural work of preservation. And then we believe in the supernatural work of illumination. The Bible is alive. That God quickens his word. He speaks to us. He, re, he shows us things from the scripture. He comes off the pages of the scripture and speaks to us. He guides and leads us, directs our lives through his word. So when we take a portion of God's word in hand and say we're going to preach through it, we want to be reading it, letting God speak to us. We want to keep up with it, letting God deal with us by his word. But that's what we're dealing with. And we're in the first book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark an expression we find in the second verse of this letter. The Bible says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. My own son in the faith. Now we'll learn a little later 
exactly how this came to be. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is writing to Timothy, and he's referring to Timothy as my own son in the faith. When we're talking about faith, we're talking about a body of belief anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. What we believe is what we read and find in the word of God. So somebody would say to you sometime in the form of a question, what do you believe? You can say, I believe what's in the Bible. Well, what do you think about a certain matter? I'm trying my best to understand what God says about that matter and to stand where God stands on that issue. Always taking God's side. Many times you find yourself when you're taking God's side, you're taking a side against the world, the flesh and the devil, but you're taking God's side. Someone may even dare to say, what's your opinion about a certain matter? And if you know what the word of God is clearly, you say to that person from the scripture, this is what God says. This is God's statement about it. And I stand with God in this matter. Now we live in a world of controversy because the world is filled with tribulation and contradiction against God. So we must not be ashamed. We must not be ashamed of what the Lord has done for us and through us and with us. And we must not be ashamed to say, I'm standing where the Lord stands in his word. And we're going to find in this little book of 1 Timothy so many statements that God gives about himself and about so many other things that we need to know and live in our lives. When we look at this portion of the Bible, most people refer to it as a pastoral epistle. Pastoral epistles are 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And some amazing statements are made in this pastoral epistle. I want you to mark a few of them by way of introduction, would you please? We look in chapter 1 and verse 15, and the Word of God says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am chief. Now when God uses this statement, he does not use it lightly. This is a faithful saying. And when he declares of this faithful saying, it is worthy of all acceptation. That means it's worthy of our acceptation. And then the statement given to us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. May God use this verse to speak to all of our hearts. I want you to look with me, please, at chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, why does the Lord say this is a true saying? Just like the statement, this is a faithful saying. It will never change. When we're dealing with a bishop, we're dealing with the same person that the Lord refers to in other places as a pastor or elder. And here he says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, 
He desireth a good work. And then I want you to turn to chapter 4 in this little book of the Bible and look at what the Bible says in verse 9. And then we have to see what it says before it and after it. The Bible says in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And verse 8 says, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable to all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And in verse 10, the Bible says, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Again, verse 9 says of chapter 4, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now turn please to 2 Timothy and the Lord uses this same word in 2 Timothy the statement that he gives us in 2 Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 11 is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. And we have to have spiritual understanding to understand what God is saying here. But he says again, using the expression, this is a faithful saying. And then I'd like for you to turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a faithful saying. In verse 8, in Titus chapter 3, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So God says this is a faithful saying. This is a true saying. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. And again, this is a faithful saying. And what we need, we need to know what God says is faithful and follow it, live it, by the grace of God. Now, how can we talk about this book of First Timothy and get the greatest profit from it? I want you to mark two things, would you please? In the book of First Timothy chapter one, I want you to mark the word Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, then I'd like for you to mark the word in verse 2, Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Now this is going to sound like an oversimplification to most people, but the truth of the matter is all true profundity, anything that's truly profound, is always clothed in simplicity. So God is saying to us in the very opening of this book of the Bible, that everything about his work is wrapped up in these two people and their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul and Timothy. Let's talk about it for a moment. Paul was a very old man, 
a seasoned Christian. Timothy was a very young man, given to God, coming to the Lord as his Savior and being a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Let's say that together. Paul and Timothy. And what we have in that is everything God wants us to know about how his work is done. You're not going to get God's work done just with Timothy's. And you're not going to get God's work done just with Paul's. It takes Paul and a Timothy. A Timothy and a Paul. Here, the man Paul is pouring his life and soul into a young man, Timothy. Here, all that Paul is doing and all that Paul knows, all that Paul believes, all that Paul has been brought to by the grace of God is being put into the life of a Timothy. And you can have buildings, property, money, everything you could imagine that you need to get something done. But unless you have a Timothy, you're not going to get it done. A Paul and a Timothy. I know churches a little bit. I've been a pastor of one for over 50 years. And I understand how God's work is done. And there's some people in churches who think they've heard from the Lord since anyone else has. But you're not going to get beyond this, this truth, this fact. And when we say this is a pastoral epistle, it's an epistle about Paul writing to Timothy and giving Timothy what things need to be imparted into his life to help him become the man of God that God wants him to be. Someday, Timothy will become a Paul. Someday, he'll become a leader, but not until he's being taught by a Paul. You ought to think about your life and think about the people you thank God for who are Pauls in your life, who are mature Christians God has used to empty into you truthful things that can make your life enriched for God and for his glory, Paul and Timothy. Now, I want to come back to this because that's not really all there is. But I want you to hold your place here and turn with me to the book of Acts just a moment. Paul's on a missionary journey, and the book of Acts tells us that his missionary journey led into great trouble. In chapter 14 of the book of Acts in the 19th verse, the Bible says in there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. Now Paul is doing exactly what God's given him to do. He's sent out from the church in Antioch. He's taking the gospel as the Lord Jesus said into all the world preaching the gospel to every creature. He's going on his way, following the Lord's direction, and he comes to a certain place, and the people get stirred up, not just stirred up in a passive way. They're not going to be satisfied until they've killed somebody. It's amazing how stirred up people can get and what their intents can be. 
But thus so stirred up, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Now, from other scriptures I read, I, I don't know whether he died or, and God raised him to the dead or if he did not die, but at least they thought they killed him. He's lying under the rock. He's been stoned. They think they put him to death. That's the end of Paul. But the rocks begin to stir and move. Something's going on. Perhaps it's God raised him to the dead. Perhaps he wasn't really dead. I don't know. And neither does he know when he writes about it later. But he's alive. And I want you to look what he does. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. He can give a testimony, can't he? He said, I want to tell you what you need to do. Get up, go back at it. Get up and do what God's given you to do. Well, I thought you were just stoned and left for dead, but you're back in the same city where they stoned you in Lystra, where they stoned and left you for dead. But now you're up again doing it. And he's confirming the souls, the Bible says. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. It's one thing to say continue in the faith. It's one thing to go through such suffering and persecution and tell people you're going to be persecuted, you're going to, you're going to go through much tribulation and to be an example of that and tell people to do it. Well, that's exactly what he did. So what came of it? What came of it? Timothy. Let's turn on in our Bible just a bit to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Now, Paul is returning on another missionary journey. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, then came he to Derby and Lystra. I thought that's the bad place. That's where he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. It is. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, we introduced to Timothy, or Timotheus as he's called here. His mother was a Jewish woman. His father was a pagan. His grandmother, his grandmother is a woman who taught him the Bible. She taught him her Jewish beliefs and taught him the word of God. But the Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 16, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, amazing thing happens. Paul is continuing with his work, and God is blessing it. If God is blessing it, the signs of God's blessing, the evidence of God's blessing is not what we're always looking for. The evidence of God's blessing is the persecution Paul went through. The evidence of things being blessed of God is the suffering that Paul went through. But God is blessing. 
And one of the great blessings, the great blessing that God gives is more laborers to his work. Are you one of his laborers? To go through life alone as a Christian is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I can remember when I was pastoring years ago as a young man in my 20s, and God spoke to my heart about training people. As a matter of fact, I think I could take you to the parking lot where I was sitting with a notepad and writing and some brief moments about some things God was putting in my heart. It was 1978. And God placed in my heart a desire to train people to serve him. And I began to pray about it and think about it. And then, of course, when you get a thought like that, you start meditating on it and bring it back, enlarging on it, and bring it back, enlarging on it, and understanding more of what God wanted you to do. Now, I was just a young man, but I knew God wanted me to tell what I'd been told by others to people to use in his work. When I was a 13-year-old boy, nearly 14 years old, someone took the Bible and led me to Christ. I remember the conversation well. The youth director said to me, I was a very young man, the youth director said to me, are you a Christian? What would you say if someone said to you, are you a Christian? Would you give some religious identity? Would you tell them you're a member of a church? Would you say you believed in God? What would you say if you were sitting on a chair with a man and he said to you in a frank kind of face-to-face -face way, are you a Christian? Well, I started answering him. I wanted to get it right. I said, well, I believe in God. I have a Bible. I come to church. I gave all the answers you would imagine someone gave, but I didn't give the right answer because I did not have a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took me by his side, walked me down a hallway to the pastor's office. Now I see now that the whole thing was planned because the pastor was waiting and he was receiving me just like the plan had gone. I walked inside as the Don Brakewell escorted me into the office. He sat beside me, Dr. J. William Harbin, who's the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee. Dr. J. William Harbin was said, well, Clarence, we want to talk to you about knowing Jesus as your Savior. And he took a Bible, opened the Bible, and read to me John 3.16. Now, something was happening in my heart. As a matter of fact, God already started working in my heart. And I recognized they had my best, very best interest in their heart. They explained to me that God loved me. They explained to me that I was a sinner. They explained to me that my sin had to be paid for. The debt was death and hell. But I could ask God to forgive my sin and trust in what Jesus had done for me when he paid my debt on the cross. And he buried, was buried, and rose from the dead. And they asked me if I would pray and ask the Lord to come into my life. You may think this is a little funny, but it's not funny to me. 
I have little prayers I'd memorize. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I have memorized a little prayer. God is good. God is great. We thank him for this food, little prayers for table meals. But I didn't know how to pray. Seek God for salvation. They led me in a prayer. I wasn't praying to them, but I was praying to God. And I asked God to forgive my sin, and I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Now, I want you to listen. Bells didn't ring, lights didn't flash, but I knew I'd taken God at his word. There was nothing else I could do. All I could do was take God at his word that the finished work had been done by Christ and Christ alone, that he paid my sin debt. Now, I could tell you about speaking on every continent of the world, preaching in thousands of places, writing books, lots of things, starting colleges, starting day schools, establishing churches. I could tell you lots of things, but I want to tell you one thing. Everything God has ever done in my life, I can trace back to that moment when somebody confronted me with the gospel. Do you understand? Now, if that's true, if that really happened and it did, I'm an eyewitness of that. Then why is it happening again and again and again? The gospel hasn't lost its power. But evidently we're not telling it to people like we ought to. A young girl came to me just a moment ago before I walked into this auditorium and she said, I've trusted Jesus as my savior. I said, that's wonderful. She's in this audience. And she said, I want to follow Christ in baptism. I want to identify with the Lord Jesus. And we talked for a moment how she can do that. But it was because she had trusted the Lord as her Savior. Christ had come to live in her. I said, it's not enough. It's not enough. It is not enough. Just to tell people you're a Christian. God has something for your life. And he has someone he has designed to help you. For Timothy, he started with his grandmother and mother. But God brought Paul across his path. And now the whole world has affected and been affected by the influence of Paul. And Timothy. When you summate all of God's work, put it all together, you can't get any bigger, any smaller than that a Paul and a Timothy. I'm looking at some of you and I'm thinking your young life or your life maybe not so young, what you need is a heart yielded to God and a Paul to come into to help you to grow, to know and follow the Lord. There's no telling how far you could go. In a Paul and Timothy relationship, there's no telling how far God will lead you, what God will lead you to do. That's why it happened this way in the Bible. So he was well reported of, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16. 
God had been taking hold of Timothy's life. He'd been learning from his grandmother. Perhaps as a young man, he knew of the event that took place a short time earlier in the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul when Paul was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. I can imagine it was the kind of thing that people talked about. They tried to kill Paul and they thought they did kill him. Perhaps Timothy got the details of it, but now he's a follower of the Lord. And Paul and Silas are going to have Timothy join their group. He's going to be an eyewitness of the work of God. And you can be an eyewitness of the work of God. Or would you rather sit on the sidelines all of your life and hear about great things God has done and never allow God to use you to do any of it? That's what this book of the Bible is about. Not just lessons we can learn, but it's about how God can use people to reach people, to reach people, to reach people. Because there's a real heaven and a real hell. And if people don't know the Lord, they're not going to heaven. They're going to hell. When Paul writes this little book of First Timothy and gets near the end, and we'll look at it when we get there, but the Bible says in First Timothy, Chapter 6, look at it, please. Oh, Timothy, verse 20. Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. In other words, Timothy, there's a sacred trust you've received and beloved, when you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, there's a sacred trust that you receive. God's commissioned you, and you receive it. When Paul signs off, the last thing he ever writes to Timothy in the little book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, he says in verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But in verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You say, it's so complicated, isn't it? No, no. It's so simple. God uses one person to reach other people and train other people. That's the way it works. And whether it's the first century church that God used Paul and Timothy in, or it's a 21st century work like this one, God uses the same thing. He uses people whose lives have been changed to come alongside and change the lives of others. You know why you're so messed up? You know why things are so puzzling? We live in a world that is compoundly confused more than anybody you ever imagined could be confused. But you know why? Because they need someone to come alongside them 
and speak the truth in love. And that's what we're doing. And we keep doing it. That's what God's given us to do. It's about Paul and Timothy. It's about Paul's Timothy. My life is a story of Paul's and me being their Timothy. I can name them. They may have been named Robert Davis or they may have been named Everett Wilson or they may have been named Dillard Hagen. And on I could go, but they're my Paul's and I was their Timothy. And while I've lived and the miles have rolled, days have passed, years have been finished, I've come to the point where I know I'm somebody's Paul. And I'm just saying, God, lead me to more Timothys. That's what it's all about. I want you to quietly bow your head in prayer, would you please?